Well, what a wonderful journey Exodus has been. Um, if you are a member or, or regular at Safe Haven, you've been journeying with us now for quite a while through the book of Exodus. Um, it's coming to a close. We've only got about three more weeks. Um, Tyler is going... I was going to point at him, but I don't know where he went. Oh, there he is. Uh, Tyler's going to knock chapter 33 out next week for us. Make sure you're here for that. Bring your friends and bring your Bible and be prepared um, as Tyler continues through Exodus 33. Um, But we've been journeying through Exodus. If you're a guest with us, just need to tell you that that's what we do as a church by nature. Um, We don't don't teach topically. Um, We don't have topics and then kind of wrap a message around them. We just go straight through the Bible, let it speak. And it is good. And Exodus has been incredible, hasn't it, been church? It's been phenomenal as we've seen Christ on every page of the book of Exodus. And, and hopefully we'll do so again today. Well, here's where we're at in the journey. There's a new nation, new laws, new freedom, new joy, new presence. Uh, we've journeyed all the way through um, the Lord taking a people out of slavery, bringing them to redemption. And here's a picture where we ended last week. Um, last week was all of the commands to build all of the holy things that the Lord would indeed show himself in. This was the temple. Um, and how even the temple itself, it's nothing more than the gospel. I mean, the temple is the gospel. It's how we enter in. And then through sacrifice and cleansing and worship, and then they would finally make it to the Holy of Holies. And as if you're a believer in this room, you know when Christ died and was raised again um, during that whole gospel moment. What happened to the veil in the temple? It was torn. It was ripped in half. And we can enter in now through Christ alone. Uh, So even the temple is the gospel back in Exodus. So don't let ever anybody, don't let anybody ever tell you that the Old Testament is that book and then the New Testament is this book. The Old Testament is screaming the gospel throughout. So this is where we kind of ended last week. Um, not only has God come down to His people, which was foreign to everybody else, their gods did not come down to them, but God was speaking to His people. That definitely never happened. Um, they had no concept for this. And not only that, but He said, not only am I going to come down, not only am I going to speak to you, but I'm going to tabernacle among you. And that's where John picks up. John tells us that uh, Jesus came, the Word became flesh, and He dwelt, literally, He tabernacled among us. So, we have Christ, the incarnate fulfillment of all of these things we've been studying. What a journey it's been. I'm going to ask you a crazy question. I've never even contemplated this question before until I began to study through the book of Exodus. Never. But I'm going to ask you this question. If I was to say to you, how many times... Did Moses go up onto the top of the mountain? What would you say? Now, you don't have to say it out loud, but think, what would you say? I've never even contemplated that. There's probably three groups of people in this room when I ask that question. There are some people who go, well, he went up one time. He got the the Ten Commandments, right? And then there are some of you who would go, well, yeah, but then something happened. So he got the Ten Commandments, but I think he had to go back again to get another set. Some of you go, well, he went... He went twice. And I'm going to be honest with you, okay? After a lot of school and a lot of seminary and a lot of time, I would have been in camp too. Even though I've read through the Bible a bunch of times, it just never stood out to me. And then the third group of people in this room would probably say, Troy, your questions like this just make me nervous. <laughs> and I don't want to answer your question. Well, there's no... A's or B's in here, okay? We're only getting a pass because of Jesus. Um, But I'm sure this is debated, but I'm counting 
about seven to nine times this brother has gone up and down this mountain. Small groups, please go study this this week. Uh, I might have just sabotaged your small groups, all you small group leaders. Um, Go study it. I'm counting about nine times he has gone up and down the mountain. Okay, so for those of you who right now are going, okay, Troy really has lost his mind. Here's a mountain. Let's just recap some of this. Exodus chapter 19, 2 through 7. He goes up and the Bible says he comes down and that's where God said, I will make of you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He came down and everybody said, okay, we'll do this. So the second time he went up and back down was he went back up to tell God that they agreed to do this um, and and to tell people... Back down that God will be in a cloud coming. Exodus nineteen ten through 14 says he then spoke to God again. And then 14 says he descended to consecrate the people. You remember the consecration moment we went through in Exodus 19, 20 through 25. Uh, Moses goes up. That's when God says, don't let the people come to this mountain. Um, uh, don't let them touch it. But Aaron goes up with him. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. That's where the Ten Commandments were given. When the Ten Commandments were given, there was no tablet given at this time. It was just the commandments. So he gave the Ten Commandments, and then he comes back down. He proclaimed that to the people. Um, 20 and 21, he goes back up. That's where God says, I'm going to come in this thick darkness cloud. Moses goes into the thick darkness, the Bible says. That's where we got all the various laws um, that were given through that time that we studied in a chunk. Um, That did take us an hour. It was an hour-long sermon. Um, uh, Okay. Um, nonetheless, that's where we get that. Uh, Exodus 24, 1 through 31. This is a very cool passage where Moses goes up. He takes Aaron, the sons, the 70, altar, the 70 elders. They build the altar. They read the laws. The people agree there's blood sacrifice. Uh, this is the one where um, Aaron goes up and the 70 go up with him. They had to stop at a tier. Then Moses took Joshua on up a little higher. And then Joshua to a tier. And then Moses went on up a little higher. Y'all remember that? There was kind of this tearing moment. Then this all happens. They come down this time with the tablets. This is when they come down with the tablets, which is going to lead to the content today. And then Exodus 32, um, 32, Moses is going to have to go back up the mountain again to intercede on behalf of the people. That might be a spoiler for where we're headed. Uh, And then Exodus 34, Moses goes alone again, and he gets a brand new set of tablets, and he meets with God in a special way. It's crazy, man. All these times, I've never seen this. So you say, Troy, why would you bring that? Well, here's the deal. My point is not to be dogmatic about how many times he went up and down the mountain. That's, that's not my point. My point is, guys, I want you to see something. A very real relationship is taking place, unlike has occurred since Adam and Eve. Since Adam and Eve, nobody has walked with God this intimately and this personally this much. This is, a, this is face-to-face cool stuff going on here. This is a very cool moment. It's a true mountaintop moment, if you will, for Moses and the nation of Israel. It's true. And so I point that out because I think sometimes that I like to think that if I could experience something like that, buddy, then... I, I would live it out the right way. Anybody else ever feel that? Like if you could go up and down and talk to God like this close, eight or nine times face to face, you feel like things might change in your life? I feel like it would, and sometimes I like to say things like this. I feel like, you know, if, maybe if God was in my living room, things might change in my house. Right? 
Like if God was sitting in my living room, I feel like my meals might not be quite as gluttonous and fried. I mean, seriously, I mean, if Jesus is in the living room with you, it's kind of hard to be like, hey, man, you want some bagel bites? You know? um, so to, would, you, would you care for some Totina's pizza rolls? You know, I don't know. Maybe Jesus likes them. I don't know. But I feel like maybe even my meals would change or my parenting probably would not be quite as erratic. You know, I, I probably would be like, oh, Macy, Cole, Kobe, let's sit down like the loving family we are. <laughs> let's, we, you know, what? I feel like maybe, I, you know, I, I might be like, well, Jesus, this is the time in which I serve my wife by doing the dishes and laundry, you know. Um, and then Julie Beth be like, oh, no, honey. And we'd have like this game where we compete over who gets to do the laundry. I feel like, I mean, you feel like if Jesus, like if he was that close, things might change in your life. Well, here's the deal. <clears throat> if God was that close and that real and that alive, could anything knock you off the mountain and get in the way? By lip service, the nation of Israel says, no way. No way. As a matter of fact, Exodus 24, here's what they said. All the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. He is that near and dear, so we'll do all of these things by lip service. Welcome to Exodus chapter 32. And let's see how practice plays out. This God that they have been walking up and down with on the mountain, let's see how they respond. You ready for Exodus 32? Could anything knock them off this mountaintop moment? 32.1, this is where we're going to read the text. It'll be on the screen. Um, Hopefully you have your Bible on your phone or in print. Um, If You'll journey through with us at least by screen. The Word of God for the people of God. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. What? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, how quickly the tables have turned. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. Mountaintop moments. Now I want to go ahead and say this up front. If you're looking around the room going, oh boy, this passage is feeling different already. It is. And we as a church will always let the text speak to us and not us read into the text. 
Okay? So, put on your big boy pants. Um, and it might be good right off the bat just to embrace that the person to your right or your left is not the stiff-necked person that it's talking about here. Right? <laughs> like some spouses want to nudge each other and be like, oh, it's bad. this is for you. Today's your day. <laughs> right? Okay? You want to know who the stiff-necked person in this room is? This guy. Me. It's me. I am the stiff-necked person. And so in this moment, this is what's happening. And the question is, if God was sitting in my living room, would anything change? Probably. For a season. Probably for a season. Because my war is an internal war with myself. And your war is an internal war with yourself. And in this moment, we're going to see what are these things that will knock a person off of the mountain. If you've ever wondered, what is it that derails you, gets you off the mountaintop moments, I think we can see some of these things in this passage. I'm going to go through them real quick. Uh, There are going to be five things that I think knocked these people off the mountain, even though they were in the midst of God Himself. Five things. It's going to correspond with all these things that are underlined up here. If you underline your Bible, maybe these are some things. But all these points will correspond with these things that are underlined in the Scriptures. Let's look at it. Five things that will knock you off the mountain. Number one... If you're frustrated with God's timing or God's delay, it'll knock you straight off the mountain. (laughs) I'm with God, but I am frustrated in His timetable and in what He's doing. And when we find ourselves frustrated with that, like they were frustrated, they were frustrated. Moses delayed to come down. We'll get derailed. Maybe here's some pointers with that. If you're one who's prone to get knocked off the mountain because you're frustrated that God is not doing what you want, when you want, number one... He's not, your, he's not your pool boy. Okay? I hadn't said this in a while. Maybe I need to say it the shirt. Jesus is my homeboy. That's heresy. Okay? Jesus ain't your homeboy. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. Okay? Let's be clear about that. So when we're frustrated with what God's doing in His time, it'll derail us. Well, a couple of things. If that's you, number one... In God's timing that doesn't correspond with your timing, He's doing more than you could ever dream or imagine. Trust Him. Trust Him that He's doing something. It's kind of like when my kids were growing up and it was the whole, I'm starving thing. I'm starving. I'm starving. I'm like, okay, well, go eat the dry pasta out of the pantry. You know, I'm starving. Okay, fine. Here's a sandwich. And they're satisfied with that sandwich. I'm starving. I'm starving. Here's a sandwich. And when they take that sandwich in frustration, they're missing out on the full course meal that their mom is preparing or that their dad's preparing or that somebody's preparing. And when we're frustrated with God's timing, let's not not rush and be like, God, just just, give me something and eat a sandwich when God could be in His timing preparing for you a filet mignon complete with butter sauce and all. Right? Let's be careful about that. God's always doing more than we can dream because God, number two, sees the grand scheme. God sees the grand scheme. And a lot of times, our scheme that we see is our scheme. And He's seeing the whole. God is not sitting up in heaven to use you as a pawn to do your bidding and to do what you want when you want. You know what God's plan is and God's agenda is? The grand, redemptive, historical narrative of the world. He's up to so much more. 
And He's using even the bits and pieces of our life to bring about redemption history to make of a people unto Himself a people that is loved and beloved and cherished. It's all bigger than we could even dream or imagine. Yes, what you're struggling with, the hard thing that's like, oh, I don't see how that fits. Even the thing that you see or can't see how it fits, God's using that for His own glory. So we should trust in His timetable. And then for us... He's morphing a perspective in our hearts. When we wait, He's morphing us. When we wait on His time, He's doing... Maybe the best way I could describe it is this. As a kid, um, I loved Christmas. It was great. Um, I know Christmas is coming. We sang a song today. Just, just for kicks and giggles and maybe for Andrew's affirmation, but we have it totally botched up. Are there people in here who enjoyed Christmas songs already? There you go, Andrew. I'm not one of them. Um, but, <laughs> but no, uh, I, love, I love Christmas songs. I love them on Christmas Eve. They're wonderful. Um, so, and, and our communion service where we burn your hands off with candles. Uh, some of you are sitting in, now I'm getting way sidetracked, but some of you are sitting in candle wax from the past year. Um, but for Christmas, Christmas would come around, right? And so I was so excited for Christmas. Here we go, we got Christmas coming. And, and I could, you, you could, couldn't, can't, Counting down the days, man. I was, let's get it, let's get it. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And I, I was looking forward to it so much, and I wanted it so bad. Now, as a 40-something-year-old, uh, as I approach the 50s, um, I don't want it to rush anymore. Another Christmas means another year has passed. Another Christmas means a whole year of memories have gone. And even Christmas, my perspective has changed. I look back now and I go, oh, this is so wonderful. Well, here's what God's doing as you wait. As you're wondering, God, what are you doing? He's morphing you. He's changing your perspective. He's he's not making you so hasty. He's teaching you patience. He's giving you an appreciation for all that you've been through, even the scars. Even your scars tell a glorious story. He's doing something in you and for you. He's fitting you for the kingdom of heaven where He'll always be with us, right beside us. Be patient. Don't get derailed by God's timing. It's His timing. That's why He's called God. All right? Number two. Second thing that will knock you off the mountain is this. They took their eyes off of God's chosen mediator. They took their eyes in this moment off of Moses... For the nation of Israel, he was their crystal clear chosen leader. There's no doubt about it. He was the one given the staff. He was the one given the miracles. He was the one given the the words. He was given all this. And and they took their eyes off of him and they said, Well, that brother must have got killed. A bear must have eaten him. He must have fallen off a cliff. Something has gone terribly wrong. So now I'm the master of my own fate, the captain of my own soul. They took their eyes off, turned on themselves... And got derailed. This is the beauty of that old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of the world will grow strangely dim. It's not just a fun song, man. That is true. And so in this moment for us, the crystal clear divine chosen Savior is Christ. And if we live with a heavenly perspective constantly focused on Him, it keeps us on that mountaintop moment. It keeps us there, but when we take our eyes off of Him, it's when we get derailed. And so in this, 
moment, we begin to say, I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul when we take our eyes off of Christ as the leader who, 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, and His name is Christ Jesus. So to stay on the mountain, number one, don't be frustrated with God's delay. Number two, keep your eyes on the chosen leader, Christ Himself. Number three, they began to fall when they followed mob mentality and they went into mob mentality mode. You saw this, right? We want a calf or an idol. We'll take your earrings out. And when everybody began to take their earrings out, off of the men, women, boys, girls, all the... Piled them all together. It kind of became this mob mentality mode. You want to know what will derail your mountaintop moment with the Lord more than anything? When you begin to follow the mob. Just follow after the crowd. Whatever they're doing. Here's what I want to say about this. When I was thinking about this, several years ago, and, and when many people in this room, myself included, were growing up, it was called keeping up with the Joneses. I just got to keep up with the Joneses. And, and, and they got this, and so I want this. They live here, so I want to live here. They do this, so I want to... They took this vacation, so I want to do this. I, you know, whatever. And we're keeping up with the Joneses in life. That will derail your spiritual journey quicker than anything else. Because now, the object of your affection is not on yourself, but it's on them, those other people and the things that they're doing or the stuff that they have. And it just derails you. So this just derails them in this moment. They want what everybody else has got. They want an idol... And the scoreboard's growing. <laughs> it's tallying up. Everybody is turning in their jewelry. So I'm going to turn in mine too, and it begins to derail them. But let me tell you this. That was a warped society that I grew up in that kept up with the Joneses. But how much more warped is our society? Where we don't keep up with just the Joneses anymore. We keep up with the Kardashians. Now that's a play on words, if you will. But you know as well as I do, that's true. Before it was that person, this person. And now not only are we trying to keep up with people in our own culture, we're trying to keep up with billionaires who live in Hollywood. And that's what social media has done to us. I'm not, you know me, I'm not, I don't, I'm not demonizing it. There, there can be great things in it. But when you sit there and scroll and go, it's no longer the Thompsons that I'm trying to keep up with. <laughs> Um, it's no longer those people that I'm trying to keep, but now I'm trying to keep up with Bill Gates and he's got this house and he laid out his floor plan like this and, oh man, look what Khloe Kardashian has in her living room. Well, my gosh, she's Khloe Kardashian. She probably does have that in her living room. And, and we, we begin to think and we buy in and all that. Do you see where it derails us off the mountain? So in this moment, they did this. They followed the mob mentality of, they're doing this, then I need to do this. And in all of this, it demantles our soul quicker than we could ever dream or imagine. Number four. They then began to make gods that they could control and manipulate. That derailed them quicker than anything, too. So not only did they follow the mob, but then they began to make this. And the Bible says this, that he he laid before them and said, Here is your gods. Think about this. Here's your gods, the one that you've crafted out of things that you own to do your bidding and go before you. Right? This is the notion that they had in their hearts. And so believers submit to a sovereign God that we can't control. That's the point of belief. 
But nonetheless, what will derail you off the mountain is when you look at all these things, take all these things, and begin to hoard all these things, and these things have control of your life, and literally, you don't lay them down and kneel before them, but you lay down and kneel before them with your time, your energy, and your efforts, and everything that you calendar in your life is for these things. Oh, they're not brass objects that you bow before that look like a little Buddha. But we all have these gods that compete for our attention and our affection. And so this derails them. Believers follow a sovereign God. Religious people follow a genie who is there to be rubbed and to pull off what you want them to pull off next. That's just religion. That's not worship. But this is what they wanted. To do my bidding. Have you ever wondered why idolatry is so offensive to the Lord? Like why is a little Buddha... So offensive to the Lord when you rub his little belly. Why does he say, I'm a jealous God and I'll share my glory with nobody? I can think of at least two things. There's probably many more. Number one is this. When you try to take the creator God of the universe and liken him to a piece of creation, that is an atrocity. He's He's got over all of these things, right? That's an atrocity. But here's reason number two, and I think this is probably more why he's so jealous and shares his glory with nothing. Because truth is tied to the one who defines truth. And as the sovereign God of the universe, when he declares this is true, then you either bow to his submission and you have no arbitration of truth over your own soul. You don't get to get to decide, well, I want to do this, I don't want to do this, I think I can do this, everybody's doing this. You have to bow before, I'm the God of the universe, this is truth, you submit to me. And so when we have these idols that we can lay before us, we can position them the way that we want, and we can justify what we want by the way that we lay our little gods out. Everybody's okay with this, so here's this little Buddha. And then we bow before it, and the holy God of the universe goes, do you worship that truth or do you worship me? It's a standard of truth. And they made them so that they can control them and manipulate them, which is the essence of all idols anyway. Our idols we can control and manipulate. And then finally, I'd say this. Then they took the next step, which derailed them from the mountain. They offered worship to those gods. They offered their worship Everything that they had. And they focused their time, their energy, their efforts, their focus, and life began to revolve around their false gods. Let's bring it home. What are the top ten gods in your life? What are they? I'm going to throw some out there. Again, this is Troy's top ten list. In no specific order. But for my own heart and mind, these are things that compete for me and my attention that I'll bow before. Top ten. Number ten. We'll go backwards. Now I feel like David Letterman. Number ten. Number ten. Um, comfort. The God of comfort. I just want to be comfortable. Number two. Hobbies. I'll organize my checkbook and my calendar around my hobbies. Number three, beauty. 
vanity. I'll spend $1,000 on, I was going to say haircut, but I don't have any hair. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reorganize my life to work out or eat these things or do this whatever. Science. Bible for science. I know God says this, but science says this. I'll bow before that. Um, relationships. Um, education. Right? All my time, energy, and effort to be educated, to get this degree. Money. I said it. Like you're like, I hope that stays out of it. Money. Do more money. Do more money. If I could just have more money, I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. You won't. Kids. Kids are probably the number one idol in this room. There, I just said it. We'll worship our kids, man. We'll bow our whole lives before them. We're going to worship as a family, go to church. Now the kids got this. Straight on out. Vacation. I can just relax. It's a funny thing about vacation, right? Seven days is awesome. That eighth day is pure hell. All right. And I know I have the number one right. The number one idol in my life is me. Myself. These are me. But maybe you can identify in those things. You know, we've talked a lot in 2022 by design about Bible-based budgeting. Um, as a church, we've just never done that. We've never done that. And what it means to be a Bible-based giver. Um, how we live our lives in a way with our resources of the first thing on my budget is, Lord, this is to you. And then we build out everything else around it. Bible-based budgeting. Lord, first fruits. Then, out of the leftovers, I live. And what's going on here is Bible-based day planning. What will derail you off the mountain is when Christ is not at the epicenter of every single day and every single moment. And in this moment, it's the gospel rhythms in all things. And they forgot about all of that. It's what we want, when we want, how we want it. And so when we sit to eat or when we kick off the day or when we look out the calendar, is it, I'm going to do these things and if I have time, then I'll worship the Lord. I'm going to go here to do that and buy this and talk to these people and take them out and do all the things. And if I have a little time left, Lord, we'll shove you there in the... We finally have a free moment to worship. That's ridiculous. Gospelless. And it screams that we worship ourselves. And they were doing the same thing. We want this. But when life is a perpetual offering every single day, day one through day 31 is, I'm going to wake up. Today is yours, Lord. Do with it as you please. You plan the day planner out. That's what keeps you on top of the mountain. That's where life happens. So these are the things. And why is all this very important? Why is all this important? Because this moment invoked the wrath of God. 
That's why it's important. Now, it's, it's not in vogue to speak of God's wrath. And y'all know our church are grace junkies. And some visitors maybe have walked in and been like, dude, I heard your church is a grace junkie. As a matter of fact, I've seen the church that say grace upon grace. And all I ever hear is grace and forgiveness and love. and all this. We, we, are great. we have drank the grace Kool-Aid. All right? You need to know that. Come back next week. Tyler, Tyler gets the message on grace. I get the message on wrath. Here we go. All right? Tell me how that's fair. We are grace junkies, but this invoked God's wrath in a powerful way. You'll get labeled as a fire and brimstone person, but nonetheless, I just need to tell you, if I'm going to be a steward of God's word, that God's wrath is real. I have to tell you that or I don't love you. It's real. And it rages. Not just in essence, but in totality and actual practicality, it is poured out. And people go, well, a loving God would never pour out His wrath on people who are trying to be good. You've heard this. And here's what I would say. Show me one person that's good. You won't find one other than Christ. You just won't find one. So when he pours out his wrath, it's by his own sovereign purposes. And this is what evokes his wrath. And so God states his intention at this point. We don't have time, and I really hope that we had time to get into this, but we don't. He doesn't decree his wrath at this point. He declares his intention at this point. That is a big distinction. But his intention nonetheless is to let his wrath, quote, quote, burn hot. And the only chance for these people is a miracle. The only chance. The only hope is that there's someone who has God's good ear. I love it when somebody says, Troy, now you got my good ear. Their only hope was that somebody had God's good ear because none of them had it. Right? Let's look at the verse. And so Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in heaven and all this land that I've promised I'll give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he spoke of bringing on his people. God, please show grace to this stiff-necked people who are indeed marked as your people. Did you notice how many times the word your was there? And that's where God's heart changed. His heart changed when he focused on his people, his choice, his redemption. This is where it comes from. And not because anything they had done, but because he had decreed they are his people. This is why Moses' intersection is so stunning. Because what changed God's heart was him reflecting on his people, his chosen people. And for us, this is why Christ's intercession should stun us far more than Moses' intercession. Because we know that we're the stiff-necked people. 
And if you've placed your faith in God today, everything that I just said before about falling off the mountain, you're probably going, oh my gosh, I knocked all five of those out of the park every day, and I knocked them all five out of the park this morning. But for those that are in Christ, I want to read something that sounds strangely similar out of John chapter 17, 7. It'll be on the screen. Where Christ said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you've sent me. Listen to this verse, church. I am praying for them. Them! Clarification. I am not praying for the world. Have you ever heard Jesus not praying for the world? I am not praying for the world. Preach that in a church. You'll have everybody walk out. I'm not praying for everybody. I'm praying for the ones that you have given me. Not praying for the world. They are yours. Christ lives to intercede for stiff-necked people who have fallen off the mountain in all five ways because He loves you, not because you've earned it. That's grace! And if you're a believer in this room, that should make your heart go, that should stun you. And so as we look at this, this screams. And then in Hebrews 7.25... The author of Hebrews goes on to say this, that Jesus not only interceded, but lives to intercede for His stiff-necked people. If you're a believer in this room, you're secure not because of your ability to stay on the mountain. You're secure because of Jesus' ability to keep your feet stuck into the one who built the mountain. It's Christ and Christ alone. And so Moses comes down. He wants to intercede. And then let's keep reading. Then Moses turned and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. This is just fun reading right here. Y'all ready, church? Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp, but he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets out of his hand and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and he grounded the powder and he scattered it on the water and he made the people of Israel drink it. <laughs> Happy Sunday lunch. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not your anger of the Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who's brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, Oh, I said, it was an accident. So I said to them, Let anyone who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Right? That's how silly it is when we try to justify our sin before the Lord. Lord, I just happened to turn the computer on and lo and behold, there it was right before my very eyes. Didn't type in the browser or nothing. 
Lord, that fourth beer hopped right out of the bottle straight into my hand. And then I drank six more. Lord, my wife is the reason that I screamed. (laughs) My husband is the reason that I screamed. We we do the same thing. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of the enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. At the end of all they had done, they're offered repentance. (laughs) They're offered hope. I'll provide them with an opportunity to repent. And in this moment, repentance is a grace. Repentance is good. Repentance is good for us. Romans chapter 2, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Don't you ever think when you see someone falling in repentance, oh, uh, oh, ugh. I wonder what they're at the altar praying for. They must have done real, something really bad. right? That type of thing. That garbage. Somebody's broken over their sin. Oh, it's not that bad. It's God's kindness that lets us repent. When we find ourselves in a state of repentance is the moment we ought to applaud. Go, thank you, Lord, for letting me repent and come to you, knowing that you embrace me as I bow before you. It's a great grace. Repentance is a great grace, church. Let's don't be a people who go, oh, today's Sunday, maybe I need it. Or we're about to come to the table. To, when, this is the, the pinnacle of church. It's not the preaching or the singing. The pinnacle of church is the table. We come to the table. That's the moment where I'm going to repent. Ah! Church, let us repent often and early and always. Always. Knowing that it's the kindness of the Lord that lets us repent. So in this moment... Okay, i got to keep going. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Some people came. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on um, your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate throughout the camp, and each of you uh, kill his brother and his companion and his people. Praise the Lord. We don't have to go through and slaughter everybody who has sinned against the Lord on church day. Right? Uh, Because I will be the first one to get hacked right in half. Right? Um, verse 28 and the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell and Moses said today you've been ordained for the service of the Lord each one um, at the cost of his son and his brother so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day our sin comes with consequences that's a whole other thing 30 the next day Moses said to the people you've sinned a great sin and now I'll go up to the Lord perhaps I can make atonement for your sin so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. Oh, what a substitution there. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Oh, and he's coming again. <laughs> Y'all remember that sermon. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit... I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one that Aaron had made. And that's where we need to stop today. So Moses comes back down the mountain to town. And there was indeed a very real separation of wheat from the chaff. And if you underline your Bible and circle it, buddy, you ought to underline and circle that word, perhaps. Did y'all catch that? Moses goes, I'm going to try. 
Perhaps I can make atonement. Implication? Perhaps what? Perhaps I can't. Perhaps I can, perhaps I can't. And that's the best that he could offer. Believers, Christ will come again and will indeed separate the wheat from the chaff. But on the authority of the Word of God, His atonement is not perhaps for you if you've trusted in Him. It is certain, it is secure, it is sealed with His blood, His life, His death, and His resurrection. Let me wash you. Believer, I want you to be stunned, not by the Mount Sinai moment. Some of you right now are still, you're hung, like some of y'all are hung up on the fact that they drank gold dust. Okay? You're still hung there. Okay? It's going to pass through. They're going to be okay. It's going to pass through. If my kids can swallow a battery and make it through, little gold dust ain't going to hurt nobody. Okay? Let it go. Let it go. In the words of the theologian Elsa, let it go. Don't be stunned by all that. Be stunned that a true and better moment happened on the top of Mount Calvary. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, Believer in this room, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sin in His body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness by His Wounds you have been healed. Hebrews 9.24 For Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, where we started this whole sermon, which are just copies of the true things, but He's ascended into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You mountain-slipping, falling-down, stiff-necked folks. Jesus is sitting there right now going, Hey, but they're mine. They're mine. But as it is, He's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And if, like if you're still going, that's not good enough. Well, here we go. John 19.30 When all had been accomplished, He drank the sour wine and proclaimed for His who would trust in Him, It is... Well, Jesus, what a text. What a text. God, just thinking through the fact that all those things derail us just like it derailed Israel. We, we, we stop looking at you. We stop looking at the intercessor Christ that you've given us. We, we fall into mob mentality. We, we don't plan our day around you. We don't budget around you. Well, there's so many things that compete. We get angry. We, we're, we're prideful. We just, we are, we are, we are rotten. We are stiff-necked people. So thank you for the text that, that we can look in the nation of Israel and go, not what a bunch of idiots, but wow, these are our people. This is my tribe. Thanks for letting us know we're not the only ones who botch it up. 
And then as the tension build in the text, thank you for the release valve of repentance, and grace, and hope, and forgiveness. God, for all the people in this room who have embraced Christ, I pray that those final verses wash them as you fulfilled all of the law and have redeemed every failure they have ever thought of or done or are going to do. You accomplished it like you really did. It's not partially finished. It's not kind of finished. It's not one-third finished. It's not 99.9% finished. It is finished. It is done. We are of the beloved. We are redeemed. We are children. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have breathed in your grace and love that you have given on us, not because of anything we've done, but just because, like the nation of Israel, you have chosen to set your effectual love on those in this room who are believing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That we didn't open our hearts, we didn't open our eyes, you opened both our hearts and our eyes, and then jumped in and brought us to life. Thank you for bringing us to life. So for the believer in this room, Lord, I pray the text reminds us of our potential, but shows us even more our greater potential by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in worship to the one true holy God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you're an unbeliever in this room, you have never embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm talking to you now. Believers in this room, pray for the unbelievers right now. Intercede on their behalf. Pray that their hearts would be opened right now. Believer, every believer in this room, labor in prayer right now. Unbelievers in this room who are listening to my voice, today can be the day of salvation. Maybe you're like, I I, I fall down the mountain, but I've never trusted in Christ to to be the one who saves me. Today, you can do that today. Repent of your sin right now. Call out to the Lord. Lord, this, yeah, this is where I failed you. I'm I'm a stiff-necked person. Admit that you're a stiff-necked person. That's where it begins. Admit that. Let the repentance flow. If today you're trusting in Christ for salvation, embrace all the verses that I just read before, that He who knew no sin became sin. Trust that He did become sin as your substitute. Call on the name of Jesus, exclusively Jesus. Call on Jesus to save you from your sin. Confess Him as Lord. Believe on Him now. Do it now. Believe. Let Him overcome your resistance. Call out to Him today. And If you've confessed your sins, if you confess Him as Lord, if you believe on Him, the Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Commit your life to Him. Dedicate all of me to all of you, which includes baptism, which includes communion, which includes church, which includes growing walking with the fellowship of saints. Commit your life to Him today. And if you do that today, you too are no longer a stiff-necked person, but a son and daughter of the King of Kings. Holy God, have your way as we respond in worship.